Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to preach again uh, this morning, and we're, it's Palm Sunday, so happy, happy Palm Sunday. I don't know if you saw, but there are these uh, Easter books. They're a little kind of like magazines, uh, especially for the kids. Uh, if you have a kid that hasn't gotten one yet, um, there's a bunch of them in the back, so I encourage you, grab them. My, especially my younger kids really like them, just really well, uh, well illustrated, uh, beautiful pictures, and the stories are the good ones. <laughs> so, well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 20, uh, and we're going to start kind of one passage before the triumphal entry. So Matthew 20, verses 29 is where we're going to start. It's really two, two stories of Jesus healing blind men before and uh, one before and one after Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And so my question for you is, why is that? Why is that? Let's, uh, let's read and we can find out together. <clears throat> so Matthew 20, verse 29. And as they went out from, uh, of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey." on a colt, a foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus the, from Nazareth of Galilee. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind... And the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said, Yes. Have you never read 
Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. There are blind men in it. There is Jesus' triumphal entry. And Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes as you opened their eyes to see you as most glorious, as the coming king, as the humble king, as the one who will save, as the one who did save us. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would see this passage not just as a nice story the week before Easter, but as a passage for us to be encouraged by and challenged by. And so I pray, help us, Holy Spirit, help us this morning. Give us new eyes to see. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever step on a Lego in the dark, barefoot? <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> well, last, last night back in, in the back hall, I didn't step on a Lego, thankfully, but I was, I was going to the back hall. I didn't want to turn on lights, and I was trying to go quietly because the kids might be sleeping. Um, and I, I just kicked a toy train, and it flew across the entire hallway and hit the kid's door <laughs> at the end. It was so loud. And, and <laughs> so my, my not turning on the lights has uh, backfired very, very <laughs> greatly. And afterward, I remember this, though. I have a flashlight in my pocket, you know, like your phone. You turn it on, you can see. <laughs> it's right there. It's always with me, pretty much. So... I took my laptop out, and I continued working on the sermon a little bit, finished that up, and uh, then I went back to put my laptop back, and I thought, I have a flashlight in my pocket. So I turned it on, and behold, I didn't step on any trains, I didn't kick them, I didn't make a lot of noise, I wasn't stumbling in the dark. <laughs> the religious leaders of Jesus' day they had flashlights in their pockets, essentially, right? They had the scriptures in their heads, really. They memorized much, much of scripture. And they memorized a lot of scripture that had to do with the Messiah coming. But they didn't want to open their eyes. They were spiritually blind. Now, Jesus heals two blind men, right, on his way to Jerusalem. And then he triumphantly enters Jerusalem with the people cheering and the waving of palms and praising him. And he, then he goes and, and cleanses the temple, turns over the, the money-changing tables and all that. And then again, he heals the lame and the blind. And children praise him. See, what's interesting here is that even the blind recognize Jesus as God and king. But the chief priests and scribes who have good eyesight, they can't see. And so how I would summarize this passage is this. It's simple. We must have eyes to see and a heart to follow King Jesus. We've got to have eyes to see and a heart to follow King Jesus. And my, my key points, I'll, I'll say them again so you don't have to write them down right now. But my key, key points today really form a kind of long sentence. 
One, we need Jesus to open our eyes. Two, but we won't always see clearly. Still, we've got to follow. Still, we must follow. Three, and praise Jesus, the Savior, King, God of the universe. So we need Jesus to open our eyes. We won't see clearly, but we have to follow and praise our great Savior. So we need Jesus to open our eyes. In the first section where Jesus heals two blind men, you'll notice these blind men were, were begging. They were shouting for Jesus to have mercy on them, to heal them. In verse 33, let our eyes be open. That's their request. Though they are blind, they call Jesus Lord and Son of David, verse 30 and 31. Though they can't see with their physical eyes, their spiritual eyes are already open. They can see what others can't. This is a physical illustration of their spiritual state. And contrast that with the crowd here. These two blind men are yelling for Jesus to help them. And the crowd in 31 rebukes them, tells them to be quiet. But they cry all the more. They're not going to go listen to the crowd. Lord, have mercy on a son of David. Now, maybe they're being a little selfish because they want their eyes to be healed. But they are looking to Christ for healing. They're asking for mercy. These two men have faith that Jesus is the Messiah. And they have faith that he can heal them. Why else would they cry out? They're not asking for money. Jesus asks, what would you have me do? Lord, let our, in verse 33, Lord, let our eyes be open. They have faith Jesus can heal them. They have faith that Jesus is the Messiah. And now he gives them physical eyes to see too. After already giving them spiritual eyes. But we also need God to give us eyes to see him, don't we? Ephesians 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Eyes to see and eyes to, to have faith, that comes from God. We need those eyes. We need God to work in us to, to open our eyes. And so the question is, how do you see Jesus? How do you see him? If you don't have eyes to see, if you don't have faith in Christ, how do you see him? Well, first, don't harden your heart towards him. And second, today even, ask God to open your eyes to see. Ask him. Pray to him. You can use any natural words you want. God, open my eyes. I don't see you as Lord. I don't see you as God of the universe. Help me to see that. If you're real, help me to see that. Now, if you do have eyes to see, take that flashlight out of your pocket, open up your Bible so that you can see more clearly. Read Scripture. Listen to Scripture. Now, right after Jesus healed their eyesight, what did these men do? Verse 34. They followed him. We need Jesus to open our eyes. But we don't always see clearly. Still, we must follow him. Point two. Those of us who do have faith, God has opened our eyes. We don't, even, we don't always get the whole picture, right? We don't always know what God's doing. 
Take a look with me at Jesus' instructions to, to two of his disciples. Read in, um, in verse 21, or sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now, I'm fairly confident that the disciples had kind of very little clue at first as, what, as to what Jesus was doing here. You know, I can just imagine the conversation a little bit more detailed because they don't tell you everything that's happening here, right? It, you know, Jesus tells them to go into the city. So, okay, you want us to go into the village and grab a donkey and colt. How, how do you know it's there? <laughs> what if somebody says something to us, and Jesus has already thought of that, about this, we just tell them that the Lord needs them. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, Jesus isn't, uh, he's giving detailed instructions, but he's not really revealing, like, why are we doing this, and how do you know this, and all that. Well, there's lots of questions. But even though the disciples didn't really know what was going on or all the reasons that Jesus asked them to do these specific things, they went and followed his directions. And just a little while later in Matthew 26, Jesus tells a, a few disciples to go prepare Passover. And it's a similar kind of thing. You know, find a certain man, tell him that Jesus is going to keep Passover at his house. It wasn't like an, a question. It was, I'm going to have Passover at your house. Get prepared. And so the disciples went and did. They asked this, they found this man and told him we're going to have Passover. Not sure how they knew the man, but uh, they trusted and they followed. And they did as Jesus told them. But isn't this kind of how God is sometimes? He, he tells you to go and, and do this or that, and you don't always understand why. Or he tells you that this is wrong to do this or that, and you don't understand why sometimes. Or maybe your life is difficult, your marriage is difficult, your parenting is difficult, maybe growing up is difficult. And it seems like your difficulties, it just, they just seem a lot more difficult than others, and maybe they are a lot more difficult than others around you. And you ask, why, why did God allow this? Why did God make me with it this way? Why did God join me with this family that I'm a part of? God, why did God make this so difficult? You know, I was thinking, perhaps it's a little bit like um, Avengers Infinity War. Did you remember the part where, uh, I had to get a Marvel reference in here somewhere. <laughs> I'm watching them all with my kids, so it's just fresh in my memory. Anyway, uh, Avengers Infinity War, right? Remember, Doctor Strange, he had the ability to view millions of different kinds of future possibilities. And he found one where they win against this, uh, this enemy, Thanos. Just one. 
But Dr. Strange told Iron Man that, that he couldn't tell him what that was because then Iron Man wouldn't do the thing that he needed to do if Iron Man knew. Now, maybe it's just a little bit more like Job and God will tell us when he wants to tell us and when he wants to tell us because he's God. I don't know. God doesn't owe us any explanation, right, of what he's doing um, in our lives at all. And I, and I think certainly if, if God did tell us everything about our present and our future, we wouldn't really need to trust or have faith. It, it wouldn't force us to trust him and, and find out, hey, is God good? And then to see, yes, he is good. It wouldn't force us to pray and wait on the answer. But, you know, whatever God's reasons for telling us or not telling us, he knows what's best for us. You have to trust that God knows what's best for you. And he's, he's not keeping any good thing from you, including knowledge about your present or future. He's not keeping that from you because it wouldn't be good for you. Now, because... We, we see even when God does tell people, they don't necessarily always get it, right? When Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen, they didn't always get it. Many times the, he, they, he told them about his death and being lifted on the cross, but they didn't understand. They had no clue. They didn't understand that Jesus needed to be captured and beaten and crucified on the cross, so that he could bring salvation to the world. He wasn't the kind of savior that a lot of people had thought about. He was the kind of savior that people really needed, a spiritual savior, so that you can be forgiven and appear before God, holy and righteous, cleansed from your sin. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, ask him today to open your eyes. And... and and will you, will you see that your sin and your wrongdoing is an offense uh, against God and it's worthy of death? But here's the good news. If you repent and believe, God will forgive you. He will give you everlasting life in heaven. As my plead with you, don't wait. Don't wait to ask. Don't wait to follow, even if you don't see clearly. You know, sometimes it's really easy to follow God when the crowd is supportive of that, right? When, when people are all going to church and all, uh, they're all waving palms and, hey, this is a great thing. Let's celebrate this. It's easy to follow him. When we're all worshiping together and, and singing, when life is good, when things are going well, and other people around you, they're all worshiping God, and they're all Christians, and you know them, and it's a lot of fun, right? But will you follow him when the crowds say, that's... That's foolish. That's closed-minded. You, you believe everything in the Bible? That, that's bigoted. Will you still follow all that he says in his word? All of it. Will you, will you follow when Jesus calls you to sacrifice? Will you follow when it seems like you married the wrong person, but God tells you, to commit. He tells you to work hard at restoration. Will you follow him? When, when somebody offends you, and it'd be so much easier to just kind of cut them out of your life, but God, God calls you to love and forgiveness, even though they, didn't, they don't deserve your forgiveness. 
Will you follow him? You know, it's not easy. But if we have eyes to see that Jesus is our Savior, and he's our King, and he's our God, he's the God of the universe, then we will trust him and follow him, even when we don't understand. And so the question is, how, how do you follow Jesus? How do you follow him? First, don't harden your heart towards God. Just because you don't know why things are going the way they are in your life, just because life is very difficult, just because God has seemingly afflicted you with various difficulties and trials, don't harden your heart towards him. Believe, trust, be patient. Do what he says in his word and refrain from doing what he says not to do in his word. And perhaps... Maybe even if you don't see clearly, perhaps by following, you will see more clearly as God shows you his goodness and his faithfulness to you. We need Jesus to open our eyes. But we won't always see clearly. Still, we must follow. And three, and praise Jesus. The Savior King heals them, right? Jesus heals them. And they follow him. And they get up and they start walking with him. And the crowd starts praising him. And they're there along with them, praising him. And what happened in that? Let's read. Again, remind ourselves. Most of the crowd, verse 8, 21 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. When the crowd shouts, Hosanna, to the son of David, right? Bauer talked to us, uh, to us about this in, while we were singing. They're saying, oh, save us, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. They're crying out for God to save us. And notice that the crowd here is praising Jesus, but back when the blind men were crying out, almost the same thing, right? They were saying in, verse 20, or in chapter 20, verse 30, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. That's pretty similar to, oh, save us, son of David. Have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them. Sometimes the crowd that's following Jesus doesn't always do the right thing, right? That's true today, too. <laughs> we can't base what is right or wrong on what the crowd does, even, even a good crowd like followers of Jesus. But we know, because it says in, right in here, verse 4 and 5, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It's pretty explicit here that Jesus was being praised as the coming Messiah, and that scripture supports this, Right? We have a lot of other ways to know that, but Jesus' ministry is authenticated by what he has done and the life that he's lived. And so 
saying, Hosanna to the son of David. That is very appropriate to Jesus. He is worthy of all praise. And so when the crowd spreads their cloaks and we place palms on the road and wave them in praise, we know this is good and godly that they praised him in public because it was his time. This was his time. And Jesus is so praiseworthy, isn't he? He's humble. He's riding in on a donkey instead of a a mighty horse as the Romans and other cultures would do. A king would come and ride all majesty. And, And as well, Jesus didn't send uh, his disciples to, hey, go, uh, go to the royal court and, and find the king, find the, the people over, the governor, whoever. Bring them all here. Roll out the red carpet. And Jesus is coming to that. He's the Messiah. He's the coming king. No. There's cloaks on the ground. There's palms on the ground. He's coming humbly. but they need some kind of celebration for this king. It's not, a, not only is he humble, but he is praiseworthy because he is God of the universe. He is the coming Messiah. He's the true coming Messiah. He's the true son of David. He's the one that will save the people. He's shown himself to be the son of God. He's shown himself to be the God of the universe by all the miracles that he's done. And he has shown himself to be compassionate and kind and merciful and faithful. He has shown himself to be all-powerful and all-good. If there is really anything in the universe that is worthy of praise, Jesus is it. All the beauty that you see around you in the world, all of it, everything good that you see, pleasing to the eyes. Jesus created it. All the good that you see in the world, all the kindness, all the mercy, all the forgiveness, all the love that you see in the world, all that's good comes from him. That's why he's worthy of praise. So when we go from this Joyous praise as Jesus enters to Jerusalem to the scene at the temple. Interesting things happen here. So you know that the temple is dedicated to praising God, right? But Jesus isn't being praised there by people who are supposed to be worshiping him. Verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? How ironic is it that in the temple where it's supposed to be dedicated to praise God, the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who are most appointed with praising God, they are indignant about Jesus being praised. 
What's further so ironic is that, again, the lame and the blind recognize Jesus as the Savior. But these priests and scribes don't. And the children recognize Jesus as the Savior, and they praise him. Why didn't they? Why didn't they praise him? They didn't have eyes to see him. They had hardened their hearts towards him. The blind and the lame could see him. The children could see him. But the religious authorities could not. They didn't have eyes to see him. They were blind. We need Jesus to open our eyes. So the question is, how do you praise Jesus? If you can't see yet, don't harden your heart. If you can't see yet, Ask God to open your eyes. If you can see, actually, even if you can't see, sing with us. Sing and worship. Listen, listen to the preaching of his word. Read, read scripture, read what he has to say. All of us. And join. And I can encourage you to join in person on Sundays. And join in person for life group. Live it out. Live your whole life, your whole being, live for Christ. That's how you praise Jesus. Not just by singing in the morning and then we sit back and relax, listen to a sermon. You're praising God. If you're listening with active ears right now, you are worshiping our Savior. And so as we conclude, let me just remind you, now we must have eyes to see and a heart to follow Jesus. We need that from him. We need Jesus to open our eyes. And we might not see clearly, but we still have to follow him. And we still need to praise him because he is the, our, our savior. He's our king. He is the God of the universe. So don't harden your heart today. Even if you don't see clearly. Don't harden your heart. Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit. We need your spirit to see Christ clearly. We need your spirit to see you as most glorious, worthy of all of our worship. Lord, there are some among us who, who don't yet see clearly. Their eyes haven't been opened. So I ask the Lord, would you open eyes to see you as the God of the universe, the one worthy of worship, the one who will save us. If we repent and believe, you will save us. Lord, I pray for those who do have eyes, they see, they believe, they don't see clearly though. And maybe that belief is a, a mental assent. They approve of you, but there's something missing. There's no, there's no faith, there's no relationship, or a very minimal one. And when that day comes when there will be difficulty in their life, they 
would be tempted to harden their hearts towards you. I pray that you would soften their hearts, that you would remind them that even though if they don't see clearly, you will prove yourself good and faithful. And that they would, in the midst of their difficulty, cry out to you, God, open my eyes. Help me to follow you. Give me faith. I'm lacking. And that they would, from then on, turn and follow you and praise you. For you have made them born again. And I pray for all who do see fairly clearly, would we live our lives in worship to you, our great God and Savior? Would we worship you and and wave palms, make it known that you are worthy of all of our worship? You're worthy the embarrassment that we might feel waving our arms like crazy people. (laughs) You are worthy of all praise, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.